editor, journalist, novelist, playwright, and vocalist. Pauline Elizabeth Hopkins accomplished in the early 20th century what most cannot imagine attempting today. Her work spans disciplines not unlike some of the most influential public humanists of the 21st century. Bold in their challenges to anti-Black violence and philosophical in their explorations of racial mythologies, her novels were fearless. Hopkins' serialized novels adapted literary conventions across genres, fusing historical drama with detective stories, sentimental fiction with Western adventure. And of Hopkins' four novels, Hagar's Daughter takes her genre-bending and blending to new and innovative places. Today, we discuss Hopkins' serial, Hagar's Daughter, a murder mystery that builds intrigue through a grifting plot and the perilous fates of two star-crossed lovers. You're listening to Remarkable Receptions, a podcast about popular and critical responses to African-American novels. Hagar's Daughter is the first of three serialized novels that Hopkins published in the Colored American Magazine, a Black-owned periodical published for Black readers from 1900 to 1904 in Boston and from 1904 to 1909 in New York City. Installments appeared each month from March 1901 to March 1902. Hopkins was a major contributor to the magazine, and she published the novel under the pseudonym Sarah A. Allen, so that it wouldn't appear as if she dominated the periodical. The first part of the novel employs tropes of the tragic mulatto story. A central character, Hagar, is revealed to have racially mixed ancestry. The second part of the novel moves readers forward 20 years in an effort to depict the legacy of slavery among aspiring and affluent politicos in Washington, D.C. Hagar, I have bought you of that man. Walker, he will not annoy you again. She did not speak or raise her eyes. Ellis bit his lips until the blood ran in the effort to restrain himself for her sake. I have thought the matter over, and as much as I wish it might be otherwise, much as I would sacrifice for you, I feel it my duty as a Southern gentleman, the representative of a proud old family, to think of others beside myself and not allow my own inclinations to darken the escutcheon of a good old name. I cannot, I dare not, and the law forbids me to acknowledge as my wife a woman in whose veins courses a drop of the accursed blood of the Negro slave. From Hagar's Daughter by Pauline Hopkins A review of the March 1901 issue of the Colored American magazine that also comments on the first Hagar's Daughter installment is the only known critical review of the novel. The article, published in the white North Carolina newspaper The Weekly Economist, praised the magazine design and the editor's success in securing quality, creative contributions. But the reviewer dismissed Hopkins' work as being aligned with Harriet Beecher Stowe's politics, and not in a good way. We have read with critical carefulness Hagar's Daughter 
The writer has evidently read a book by the late Harriet Beecher Stowe called Uncle Tom's Cabin. It is a close imitation of that devilfish of our literature, which drew upon its imagination for its facts and upon its fanaticism and uncharitableness for its fancy sketches. From the Weekly Economist, March 15, 1901. Not only did this critic characterize Hopkins's work as uncharitable towards white people, but they found her use of dialect a dubious and overwrought effort to make it a distinct part of the intellectual characteristics of the race. That's Alicia Knight, a professor of English and American Studies at Washington College. This review fails to acknowledge how Hopkins uses dialect to keep up with the times. Dialect was used not only by other Black writers, including Charles Chestnut and Paul Lawrence Dunbar, but also by white writers of local color fiction, from Mark Twain to Mary Murphy. The practice highlighted the distinctive characteristics of communities across the United States. Hopkins' serial novels, like Hagar's Daughter, might not have received numerous critical reviews, but that doesn't mean her work did not have an impact. Readers often sent letters to the Colored American Magazine editor, who reprinted them within the magazine, along with testimonials from prominent individuals, including notable journalist and editor T. Thomas Fortune and Daniel Murray the long-serving assistant librarian at the Library of Congress. Hopkins reprinted one particular reader response from a white woman, Cornelia Condict, in 1903. This was one year after Hagar's daughter concluded and a few months after the conclusion of Hopkins' second serial, Winona. This response is remarkable less because of the opinions it expresses, but in more because it is the only letter that Hopkins chose to respond to in print. Here's the magazine editors introducing the colored American audience to Cornelia Condit's response. We are constantly in receipt of letters from our readers in all sections of the country. Some friends offer kindly suggestions as to how we can improve and make a more helpful magazine, while others tell of a grand work already accomplished by our periodical. The following letter, recently received from one of our white readers, is one of more than passing interest to us all. The Colored American Magazine, March 1903. The commentary that prefaces the white woman's letter suggests the editorial board was pleased to show how the Colored American Magazine had expanded its readership outside of the Black community in the three years since the magazine's debut. And it appears they welcomed Condict's feedback. That's Professor Knight. Cornelia Condict's letter highlights the belief of moderate white people who viewed themselves as allies. Cornelia A. Condict was a Presbyterian church missionary and Sabbath school teacher. Conduct questioned the depiction of interracial romance in the magazine's serial fiction. She challenges the editors, suggesting that Hopkins' fiction lacked the imagination to envision romantic love between Black people. Drawing authority from her Christian missionary work in racially diverse communities, Conduct recommended Hopkins focus on neglected African-Americans instead of interracial couples. 
While she couched her advice as focused on elevating black readers, Condit's recommendation against romantically linking black and white literary characters revealed her own prejudice. Hopkins saw right through it. Hopkins recognized the condescension and hypocrisy implicit in Condit's advice. Her response to Condit is distinctly different from the editor's. I'm glad to receive this criticism, for it shows more clearly than ever that white people don't understand what pleases Negroes. Hopkins describes being caught between a rock and a hard place, between pleasing white readers or black patrons at the risk of losing support from the other side. Still, she quips, let the good work go on. Opposition is the life of an enterprise. Criticism tells you that you're doing something. In other words, Hopkins clapped back, and she did it in her own voice as a Black woman writer. Her response to conduct anticipates later Black critiques of the predominantly white publishing industry that dismissed the interest of Black reading audiences as inconsequential. In 1950, for example, Zora Neale Hurston expressed amazement quote, by the Anglo-Saxons' lack of curiosity about the internal lives and emotions of the Negroes, and for that matter, any non-Anglo-Saxon peoples within our borders, above the class of unskilled labor, end quote. Today, scholars recognize how Hopkins persisted in writing fiction that appealed to both the political sensibilities of her Black readers and to their desire to read entertaining, provocative storylines. Scholars have recognized that Hopkins used the structure of the serial novel to heighten suspense. That approach is especially true in the second part of Hagar's Daughter, where the installments end just before or just after a confrontation between characters. Toni Morrison, Zora Neale Hurston, Alice Walker, Ralph Ellison, Octavia Butler, Colson Whitehead, and dozens more are featured in our Black Literature Network. Scholars of African-American literature, digital humanities scholars, computer scientists, Illustrators, graphic designers, voice actors, and sound engineers all contribute to the production of this project. Hopkins used her magazine novels to respond to debates about the utility of fiction during the rise of the Jim Crow era. When she became the editor of the Colored American magazine, after her exchange with Conduct, she faced opposition from conservative Black leaders like Booker T. Washington and his allies who tried to pressure Hopkins to alter the content of the magazine. One of the magazine's financial underwriters, John C. Frund, demanded Hopkins refrain from addressing racism and white violence in the magazine. In a private letter to a friend and colleague, Hopkins expressed her belief that her writings had angered white Southerners. In the fall of 1904, Hopkins was dismissed from the Colored American magazine's staff, but she continued her intellectual and activist work by giving public addresses and contributing to another black periodical, Voice of the Negro. She also founded New Era Magazine in 1916. 
Hopkins certainly recognized that publishing Hagar's Daughter as a serial in a magazine translated to a larger audience for her writing. She could not have anticipated, however, that scholars in the late 20th century would recover her novels from obscurity. Because of this recovery, Hagar's Daughter has experienced the remarkable phenomenon of finding an audience in 1900 finding another audience when it was reissued in a collection of Hopkins magazine novels in 1990, and still another audience with the recent standalone Broadview edition co-edited by John Grusher and Alicia Knight. As Hopkins would say, let the good work go on. This episode of Remarkable Receptions was written by Alicia Knight. The episode was edited by Elizabeth Kelly and me, Howard Ramsey. Remarkable Receptions is part of the Black Literature Network, a joint project from African American Literary Studies at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville and the History of Black Writing at the University of Kansas. The project was made possible by the generous support of the Mellon Foundation. For more information, visit blacklitnetwork.org.